you may be seated in the house of God. So glad that you are here this morning. How many are glad to see that summer came a little bit early? Isn't that exciting? I'm not complaining. We always get upset when winter comes a little bit early. But how about summer? Come on, we got to remember these moments. I feel like we're always dogging Chicago weather. We got we to gotta give Chicago a little love every now and then, all right? And this is what I'd say to my friends in the South. Look at our summer, man. We don't have to melt every day, you know? My friends, you know, always in Florida making me jealous during the winter, sending me pictures by the beach. Now look at you. 95 degrees, can't even go outside. Come on. But now we get to enjoy it, don't we? I'm so happy. I'm an outdoors person. My skin will change a bunch of different colors. You guys will see me get darker and darker and darker. And then if people, like, judge me by wearing shorts and they ask you, like, why does your pastor wear uh, shorts in church? What are you going to say back to him? Because he's hot. Why do you think he wears shorts? That's why. And then if they're like, hey, why doesn't he wear a suit? What are you going to say back? Why don't you wear a suit? It's too hot. Why would he want to wear a suit on a day like today? All right, open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to, by God's grace, read almost 60 verses today, three chapters. So if you're a visitor and you can take this and you come back, we know you're meant to be in this church. This is a church for you if you can handle it. Today we're going to be talking about the woman, the dragon, the sun, the two beasts, the 144,000, and three angels. If you're new, we're going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. All of it's online at our website, as well as Facebook. You can keep up with us there. Let's start in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 1, and charts upon charts. They just keep growing as the series is going on and on and on. These will all be helpful today. Let me start rather here. Before I actually get into the reading, let me just skip ahead to let you know where I'm going with this, okay? I'm going to interpret the woman today as the nation of Israel the dragon as Satan, and Satan's going to have seven heads. Seven heads are going to represent the seven hills and seven kingdoms that have ruled the world. The eighth kingdom belonging to the Antichrist, he's going to have ten horns, this dragon, and we're going to believe that's the ten united kings of the Antichrist kingdom. The son or the lamb is Jesus. The first beast, we're going to consider the Antichrist. The second beast, the false Christ. The 144,000, we believe, are the 12,000 from uh, each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then there will be three angels that bring three distinct messages. One is going to be the gospel. Another is going to be the judgment of Babylon, which we have not even heard about. And the first thing we hear about Babylon is that it's destroyed. And then we learn about Babylon later on in the book of Revelation. And then last angel will bring about the judgment of those who have received the mark of the beast. Let me go back to this chart as well, just uh, maybe help you here. I think this would be good for visitors, and a review is always good for everybody. Here's how we see the book of Revelation. We see it as a linear timeline. We've already heard about Jesus Christ, the seven churches. We believe the church has been raptured. That's a calling away to heaven. So the majority of us will not be here for this time. There are different views among Christians about when the rapture happens. Something that happens in the middle of this time period, others at the end. The reason why this whole time period is considered seven years is because of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, which is what we got into last week when we looked at this chart right here. So everybody say a chart within a chart. Ooh, charts within charts. Okay, so that's why we believe this is actually a seven-year time period. And we've already gone through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and we're about ready to get to the seven bowls, which bring us to Armageddon. Somebody say Armageddon. 
They're going to be getting some butt whooping, okay, by Jesus. And so you don't want to be here for that point because it's not going to be, be good. But right here in the middle of the book where we are today, Revelation chapter 12, we get all of these signs. Now, here's the deal. For someone like myself who has been sticking with a linear timeline. Now, remember, there are people who see it other ways. See, I see it linear. Seven seals, then seven trumpets, seven bowls. But there are some that see the seals overlapping with the trumpets and the bowls, and there's actually a couple of different ways that people see those overlapping. I see it linear. Somebody say linear. Thank you. Okay, for so somebody like me who sees it linear, guess what I have to do right here in the middle when we start learning about the woman, the dragon, all this stuff going on? I have to now break a linear chart and understand that this is talking about different time frames. Now, before you go, well, Joe, I don't want to break that linear time frame. I want to be with the plan that doesn't have to break it. All of them have to break it. As a matter of fact, I'm the only one, not I'm the only one, but our position is the only one that can even make sense of a linear time frame with the seals of trumpets and bowls. Otherwise, you got people saying around the third and fourth seal comes the first and second trumpet, and then around that time comes the first and second bowl. I mean, I'm telling you, it gets to be a little bit messy when they're trying to put it together. So I've got the cleanest version to give you. This is the most popular uh, today, you know, among most Christians. The Baptists affirm the assemblies of God, you know, of people on, on TV that you see a lot. They're going to do this Left Behind series, if you've ever heard about that, Moody Bible Institute. A lot of folks, I could go on and on. Okay, so this is the more popular version. But, but get this, I have to break the timeline, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because everybody has to break the timeline. What's the first way we're going to break the timeline? The birth of Jesus. Once we get right here to Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, let's just go here, and I'll just give you a taste of it right here. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Okay, this is speaking about Jesus being born. Okay, now, can I put Jesus being born into this timeline of seven years? No, has Jesus been born already in our lifetime? Yes, but we see this in the future, don't we? Now, right here, because of this kind of a verse, guess what some people try to do? They try to say, well, this means it all happened in the past, and those are called preterists. They actually believe, as we go to Daniel's 70 weeks, that all of these weeks happened in the past, and it culminated with the destruction of the Jewish temple. Those are called preterists. So who was the Antichrist of them? Nero. What is the kingdom? Rome. What's going on? The destruction of the Jewish temple. But guess what? There are a lot of problems with that point of view when you combine Daniel 70 weeks together because it doesn't fit with what the timeline gives us. We're supposed to have seen things in 70 AD we have never seen. Like a mark of the beast given to every single person in the world that cannot buy and sell without that mark. Did that happen in 70 AD where you couldn't buy and sell in India without a mark? No, so that did not happen. So how do we see the 70 weeks of Daniel? The 70 weeks of Daniel are broken up for the first seven, being the 49 years it would take for them to rebuild the temple. That happened. The next 62 sevens, 434 years, is when Jesus Christ came and when he was cut off and when the temple was destroyed. So we are left, if we have 70 sevens, 77s, and we have seven accounted for, 62 for a total of 69. How many sevens do we have left? One seven. Is everybody following the man? Have I gotten the tinfoil on my head now? Have we gotten the yarn out here? Okay, let's just start again. 70 minus, 70 minus seven, then minus 62 equals what? Okay, one. Okay, let's just go slow. I'm going to go slow with you guys now. Let's all get out our calculator. 
Okay. How about we just go back to the Bible here? First service was a little bit easier than this, but I'm going to work it. Somebody say work it. Daniel chapter 9. Let's go to Daniel 9, and then I'm going to go back to reading. And trust me, we still have time today because first service I made up for some of the, uh, the little bit of mistakes that I made. So I have time today to do a little bit more review with you guys. No problem. We're still reading the 60 verses. Hang in here with me. Okay, Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den. What happened? Why was he in the lion's den? They got invaded by Babylon, Israel. People taken to Babylon. Their temple was destroyed, known as Solomon's temple, destroyed. Now, what does Daniel get in Daniel chapter 9? How many sevens does he get in Daniel chapter 9? Seventy sevens. While I was praying, confessing my sin, the sin of my people. Remember, he's in Babylon. Temple's been destroyed, okay? While he's in prayer, what begins to happen? Verse 24, 77 are decreed for your people, Daniel, and your holy city to finish transgression. So you guys have been punished. You've lost that temple. But now I'm going to tell you, there's still going to be some more things coming upon you and the earth. And I'm going to break it down, God is saying, into 77. And we're going to count them as years. So it's going to be 70 times 7 equals, let's get our calculator, how many years? 70 times 7 equals how many years? 490, okay? Now watch. If you think it's getting a little bit confusing, watch how clear it gets in just a moment. Watch. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out, from the time I'm telling you right now, to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, who is the Messiah, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Come on, somebody say peekaboo. I need you guys to hang with me. Somebody say peekaboo. How many sevens are there going to be to rebuild Jerusalem and for the anointed one to come? Where's the stool? I need a stool. I'm going to get on a stool. I know. I know. It's okay. Pray for me. Pray for me. This is what I, this is what I do for a living. I'm okay. I'm, I'm not nervous right now. I'm not nervous. Okay, here we go. How many do math? How many do math? Okay. About four of you. Let's all get out a calculator. Let's, let's all get out a calculator. Okay. Okay. My wife's already got a calculator out. She's helping one of our pastors. It's gotten to that level where pastors are confused. Okay. 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 We're, go we're going to slow down. We're going to slow down right here. Okay. We're going to go to the passage of the Bible. Everybody say the Bible. Okay. We need to do these first three words right here. Know and understand. That's what we need to be able to do right now. Okay. Know and understand. Okay. God is speaking to Daniel, and he says, know and understand this. From the time the word, this prophetic word, goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Okay, let's do it. Seven Plus 62 sevens gives us how many sevens? 69. How many sevens was he going to give us? So if we've accounted for 69, how many do we have left? Okay, okay, let's watch now. Now what does it say here? It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench. What's that? Jerusalem, the temple. But in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler 
will come, uh, who will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So doesn't right here, at the time of Daniel, we are told, aren't we told how long it's going to take for the temple to be rebuilt? Yes, it's going to be 77s to rebuild, excuse me, seven, thank you, seven sevens to rebuild the streets of the Jerusalem area because they just got destroyed. Everybody with me? Okay, and during that time, they're going to rebuild the sanctuary. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to put a trench around it. And then there's going to be 62 sevens. And what's going to happen after those 62 sevens? The temple that they just built along with the city they just built is going to have what happen to it? It's going to get destroyed. Let's go back to the chart. You guys ready for the chart? Okay. You're Daniel, and you're told in seven sevens you're going to rebuild a temple. That's pretty awesome, right? Isn't that cool? And then 62 sevens from there for a total of 69, the Messiah is going to come. But what else is going to happen? The temple is going to get destroyed, and the Messiah is going to get cut off. Isn't that pretty awesome that here in Scripture we are actually told when Jesus is going to come? Everybody get that. That's why we just don't want to go through this and miss it. We are literally told when Jesus had to come. It is impossible to miss this. That's why when we speak to Jewish people, it had to be Jesus as the Messiah. Because 483 years, that is 69 sevens, 483 years bring us to the time of Jesus and the destruction of the temple. That's it. From the time of Daniel, 483 years. How could that be predicted? Imagine that. The temple's destroyed, and God is telling you, you're going to rebuild a temple within 49 years, and boom, the temple's rebuilt. Isn't that amazing? Now imagine this. God then says, and the Messiah's going to come, and he's going to be killed. It even predicts his death, and it then predicts the temple will be destroyed. They haven't even built the temple yet, and yet it says the temple will be destroyed. The people of the ruler, which we will learn is the Antichrist, will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Didn't Jesus in his lifetime also predict that the temple was going to be destroyed? Amen. So now you understand the timeline. We have all of this in our 69 sevens, but we're missing the 70th seven, which is now why I'm going to put back the stool and go back to preaching again. Are you guys ready for me to go back to preaching? Okay, we'll go back to stool time if we need it, okay? But I want you guys to let me preach this, and I want you to get it, okay? Now, as I said before, there are preterists who see it as past, that all of these sevens line up together. The problem with that is, is it wasn't seven years after the death of Jesus in 31 AD when the temple was destroyed, so you can't have it back to back. 31, when Jesus was, was killed, Plus seven is 38. Was the temple destroyed in 38 AD? No. When was the temple destroyed? 70 AD. So immediately you find a space. But then as we said before, the seven years that we read about in Daniel and in Revelation don't have anything to do with what they went through in Jerusalem. It's much greater than that. The prophecies that we're about ready to read have to do with the entire world. It's not just a Caesar over Rome. It's a world government over the entire uh, world and controlling the globe, giving a mark to the world. And the angels are coming down, bringing destruction to the whole world. Whereas if you lived during the time of the destruction of 70 AD and you were in China, you wouldn't even have known what happened. Do you think you can live during the time of the book of Revelation and not know what's going on? 
No, a third of the water turns to blood. The, the stars are falling from the sky. Do you see why we are futurists? Everybody say futurists. So we, like the disciples, look towards the future for that, 70th, uh, that seven uh, years, the 70th week of Daniel. We cannot fit it in this time period. It doesn't fit with 70 AD, even chronologically, and it doesn't fit with the details. So that's why we consider what we're reading now to be in the future. Everybody go, ah. That's our seven years. Here's the seven years. And it starts with the rapture, and it ends with the battle of Armageddon. Are you guys ready for the message today? Amen. You guys were patient with me. I'm going to be patient with you. A great sign appeared in heaven. We're going to learn about these signs. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about ready to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, Ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Remember, I've given you the explanation of that because I've read ahead. That's in Revelation 17, 9. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about ready to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations, rule all the nations with an iron scepter. That's Psalm 2, verse 9. And her child will be snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. How many months are 1,260 days for the Jews? Remember I told you there are 30 days in a Jewish month. Divide 1,260 divided by 30 days in a Jewish month. How many months is that? 42 months. How many years is that according to their calendar? Divide it by 12. How many years is that? Three and a half. Now do you understand why we break up the 70th week of Daniel into two phases? Does everybody get it? Okay, now I'm going to show you in Daniel why we do that, and then we'll talk about the woman because I want everybody to see it, see it with me, okay? Go with me to Daniel chapter 9 again. I'll go to Daniel chapter 9. There we go. And let's go here to where it talks about when it happens. Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. So now you see the total number of the 77s. Seven sevens, rebuild the temple. 62 sevens after the seven sevens get us the Messiah and the destruction of the temple. Then the seven, the one that we have left, will be marked with a covenant. In the middle of the seven, he, talking about that ruler, the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed and poured out on him. Well, hold on here, Joe. How can they have a desecration in the temple if the temple is destroyed after the 69 sevens? What does the last seven assume is there in that picture? What is there? A temple. Is it the temple that Daniel and his friends are going to build with Ezra and Nehemiah in 49 years, seven sevens? No, because that one is destroyed after 62 sevens. It says right here, they will destroy the city and the sanctuary after the Messiah is put to death. Messiah is put to death, Jesus, around 30 A.D. Temple is destroyed in 70 A.D. But in this last seven, the 70th seven, there's stuff going on in the temple. What does that mean? There has to be a third temple. Do we see a third temple in the Bible? Absolutely. It's Ezekiel's temple. 
Ezekiel is alive during the time of, of Daniel. He prophesied about an amazing temple. But that wasn't the temple they built in those 49 years. The temple that will not be destroyed but will be defiled by the Antichrist is Ezekiel's temple and will remain and be protected by Christ. After it's defiled, it will remain protected. It cannot be destroyed. And then it will be sanctified by Jesus and the blood that pours through it from the enemies of God. In other words, God is going to put out vengeance for them defiling that temple. And then that third temple is the millennial reign temple. So we have to have a temple, don't we? But that temple's been destroyed. Is there a temple there right now? So are we in the last of the, seven, uh, the, the 77s? No, we can't be in it yet because in the 77s there has to be a temple. It says right here, he'll confirm a covenant, and then in the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice. So if in the middle he does something wrong, that means it must have been there at the beginning. So what is a sign to us that we're getting towards the last seven, the 77, is that Israel becomes a nation. When did Israel become a nation? Yes, in 1948, that was the start. Now that we can go, oh, wow, we're getting close to this. What would be the last sign for us for, for this sake here is that they get the temple grounds or at least the ability to start building one. And that's why we look at what's going on in the news today. What is all of our attention? War in the Middle East. What is it focused on? Jerusalem. You think that's a coincidence? After 2,000 years of human history, over 1,900 years of the Jewish people being separated from their land, how is that even possible? The Bible could predict that. Where are, where are the Pharaoh Phoenicians? Where are the Hittites? Where are the, you know, all of these other nations that have been dispersed from their lands? And yet Israel gets dispersed and doesn't just disappear off the planet. They're still around all this time yet being persecuted. And after their greatest persecution, the Holocaust, they're giving back their land. Talk about all things working together for good. And talk about that being a sign to us that we're getting close to the end times. This is not mere coincidence. The same way that we were told when our Messiah would come and when that temple would be destroyed is the same way that we're being told when we know we enter into that seven. And I believe the rapture of the church comes first, but you understand when I say we, I'm talking about the global earth. Now going back to our passage here, we're learning to track with John. We need to get this. He's teaching us this. We may not understand it all, but we should get a great, under, uh, you know, a, a, a great overview of it. And the first thing that we need to understand is who's the woman? And Roman Catholics say, oh, I know who the woman is. It's Mother Mary, Mother Mary, sweet Mother Mary of Guadalupe. That's who it is. No, that's not who it is. I'll show you who it is. Go to Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. How many believe, and go to a new tab, please. Thank you, so we can keep Daniel up there. And I don't mean to mock my, my Roman Catholic friends or brothers and sisters, because I do believe they can be saved. Uh, many of them are not, but I believe they can be saved. But they're confused about who the woman is. I'll show you it's not Mary, and I'll prove it in the timeline, but let me just show you by Scripture. How many believe they had the Bible with them at that time? How many believe they understood signs and symbols? They knew how to go back and research them. Amen. Brothers, can you get out the notes so you can track with me here so we can uh, keep up with uh, the Scriptures? Uh, we got to go back here now. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 9. Go ahead and put it up there for me. And uh, as they're doing that, I'm going to do this here today. Let's give it up for these guys in the back working hard. Come on. They're going to work hard and keep up because we got a lot of scriptures. Thank you, my brother. Notice this. Joseph gets a dream. Verse 9. He had a dream and told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Sun, moon, how many stars? 11 stars. What do we see right here? Sun, moon, how many stars? 12. Why is there only 11 in Joseph's understanding here in the dream? Because he's the 12th star. Because he's one of the tribes of Israel. Right? 
He's one of the tribes of Israel. So who is the woman? The woman is Israel. Now, is Mary an Israelite that gives birth to the Messiah? Absolutely. But is the woman herself uh, uh, Mary? No, it is Israel. The bride of Christ is engrafted into this woman. We are engrafted into Israel. We are engrafted in. And then I'll show you clearly in the sign it cannot be her in just a moment. But now watch. The dragon comes, who we know is the devil, and we'll hear his name in just a moment, but we're told that he has the seven heads. These seven heads represent seven hills and seven kingdoms. How do we know that? Go to Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. Revelation chapter 17, verse 9 reveals what the seven heads stand for, as well as the ten, the ten uh, horns. This calls for wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman seats, uh, sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when that one does, he must remain only for a little while. Okay, verse 12, the ten horns you saw are ten what? Ten kings who have not yet received their kingdom, and they will in the future. So what does the dragon have? The dragon has these governing authorities with him. At in the past, rather, he has the seven in the past, and he has the ten in the present. And he sweeps a third of the stars with him out of the heavenlies to earth. This is where we learn that Satan took a third of the angels with him. And now he attacks the woman at the moment of her birth. What happened at the moment of Jesus' birth? Death to the children through Herod, right? So how do we see and understand abortion? Abortion is a satanic plan to kill children. Just like Satan used that time to kill children in the, in the lifetime of Jesus. But it didn't work. God protected Jesus, right? God protected Jesus. But then now notice in the timeline how it immediately goes from being born to snatched up to heaven. Look at verse 5. She gives birth to a son. He's going to rule over the nations. Snatched up to God and to his throne. Talk about jumping the timeline. Did Jesus just get born and then snatched up to heaven? See, we're learning that this is not meant to be taken linear. We're not supposed to think that now that we're seeing the signs, that all of this is going to go from A to B to C to D. That's not how this is going to work for anybody uh, in their view of Revelation. We all have to now understand that the revealing of signs is going to jump us all over the timeline of human history. We are now learning about future things while learning about past things, while learning about things that are presently happening. Past, present, and future are meeting here within this time frame. And so we're brought to the past to look back at Jesus, and then we're also brought back to understand that he, the devil, was taking a third of the angels. Well, did that happen at the time of Jesus' birth? No, there were already people demon-possessed before Jesus' birth. Read the Old Testament. So you're, you're, you're there reading this going, well, hold on. A third of the angels was Satan were taken at the beginning. Satan and his angels were there in the garden. Satan was tempting Adam and Eve, and then angels, fallen angels, and spirits are messing with Job, etc. So you're supposed to allow this part of the story to tie together the narrative. And what is the narrative? God is with his people. That's going to be the narrative. And the narrative of the people is the 144,000 who we have seen already previously in the timeline sealed. So now when we put it all together, we get this idea of, yes, God used Israel to bring about his people. Even though the devil's been attacking them, God's been protecting them. God has been watching out over them, and he'll do that here in these moments that they're about ready to face, which are the worst moments on the earth. 
earth, the final seven. God's going to be with his 144,000. Keep an eye on God's people and you'll understand what's going on. So the woman gives birth and then she goes to the wilderness and she's there for 1,260 days. When did Mary ever go to the wilderness? She never went to the wilderness. They escaped to Egypt, but she didn't go to the wilderness. But notice the precise days, 1,260 days. These are the days that have been numbered earlier in our book to teach us the days of tribulation. So where do I place the 1,260 days? After the treaty is broken. Remember we read in Daniel that once the treaty is broken, the second half, God starts to punish the earth and chase down the wicked. Remember, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice. The temple will be abominated, and God will begin to bring about these desolations. God will begin to hunt them down and bring judgment to them. You all believe that? So that's why we think that the 1,260 days in our chart is right here. So let's get a, a good understanding here. Rapture of the church happens. There's a treaty made with Israel that allows them to build that third temple that we're talking about. But these seals and trumpets begin to let the people of the earth know that there's issues. But they're not listening. God sends two witnesses, and they still don't listen to them. They kill them. Witnesses ascend to heaven. But then during this time, he, the Antichrist, breaks the treaty with the Jewish people. They're now scattered, and he begins to defile that temple for the last three and a half years, and out of his anger tries to control the earth, but while that's happening, the bowls of wrath, the worst part of God's judgment is coming, culminating at the battle of Armageddon, and God is protecting his people. That's what we're learning here, is that the woman, the Israelites, are taken care of during that last three and a half years. Now watch this. Then war broke out in heaven during that last three and a half years. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. That reminds us of Daniel 10, 13, spiritual warfare. We even hear that in um, Ephesians 6. But this time, he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. That's how I knew the dragon was Satan, because I hear it now. Does everybody get that? And we're now told it's Satan. He leads the world astray. He was hurled to earth with the angels with him. So if I was a preterist seeing this all in the past, could I believe that that literally happened? Has the devil and his angels been confined to earth? No, that, can, that contradicts Ephesians. I appreciate you trying to help me, sister, but that's all right. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. When Paul is writing, does he say, listen, all the devils, all the angels, they've been cast down to earth. We don't have to fight spiritual warfare anymore. Is that what he says? No, are we even here in the church age still fighting spiritual warfare? Yeah, look at it. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. Where are they at? Okay. But according to this, is Satan in heavenly realms anymore? Where has he been hurled down to? To earth. So it has to be future, doesn't it? Let's keep going. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Read Job. Angels come before God, accuse Job. Right? They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back. Now watch this right here. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. 
Is this where we are right now? Has the devil been confined to earth? No. That's when it happens. At that time of the three and a half years, now God casts him out of the heavenly realms. And Michael and Gabriel give each other a high five and say, man, I'm so glad I don't have to wrestle with these demons anymore. I'm done with them. But then what, what, what happens? Those on earth go, oh, my gosh, they're here now. Not just where they come and go. The Bible says they can come and go from here and go to the heavenly realms. But no, it now says they're restricted here. And in just a few moments, we're now going to see they totally reveal themselves. Satan will start appearing on earth as an angel of light. The demons will start now walking around and become visible to the people. How do we believe that can happen? Because people will probably call them aliens, extraterrestrial, right? Oh, wow, here's a being from another dimension. It has power. It's glowing. It's helping us. And so that's what happens. He is now confined here. He cannot just disappear and go up into the heavenly realms. He is confined to be an earth-dwelling creature. Does everybody get that? That's why we look at the timeline and go, hey, was Mary around when the devil became an earth-dwelling creature? No, because let me just ask it to you like this. Can you just jump yourself to the heavenly realms right now and hang out with Michael and them? No. Because you're an earth-dwelling creature. In your spirit, you're seated with Christ in heavenly realms by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a Wi-Fi between you and heavenly realms. But you cannot transport yourself to the heavenly realm. That Satan, the devil, these angels, will no longer be able to transport themselves to a heavenly realm in that dimension. Because we also think of heavenly realms as different dimensions, right? We don't just think of heaven, hell, because now I'm pointing to the sky and pointing down to Australia, right? Australia is not hell. They are different dimensions. These are our understandings going deeper. So the, the demons and the devil locked into this dimension. Just like now, you can't go to heavenly realms. They can't disappear to heaven. They're, they're here now, okay? Now watch. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled, hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Watch this. He doesn't even know he's been hurled until it's after it happened. Boom, he's here. He's like, what happened to me? He got hurled down to earth. That's how powerful God is. There's no arm wrestling with him and the devil. He gets hurled down, comes to and goes, I guess I'm here now. But what does he do? He pursues the woman. As we're going to see, he, the devil, literally starts hunting down Israel, the 144,000. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness while she will be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Now, does this mean Mary ascended to heaven? This is where they say she ascended to heaven, the, the assumption of the Virgin Mary. Number one, it doesn't say she ascended to heaven. It says she goes on eagle's wings into where? The wilderness. Guess where that comes from? Go to Exodus chapter 19.4. Have you ever heard about God delivering his people, bringing them into the wilderness? It's the exact language of Exodus 19.4. God did it on eagles' wings. This is the promise of Israel. This is going to be their second great deliverance. Even though they were delivered during the Babylonian time, the Assyrian time, it is not the same as the Egyptian time. This is going to be exactly like to them the Egyptian time. It's going to be a great, miraculous deliverance. Matthew chapter 24 talks about how they will be delivered and kept safe just like they were in the times of Egypt. Look at Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on what? eagle's wings and brought you to myself. How is the woman protected? What is she brought out on two wings of a great? This is God's people being protected. During the last three and a half years, as their temple has been defiled and the Antichrist with the devil is literally looking for them on the earth, they are protected. 
Then from the mouth of the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away like a torrent. Psalms talk about waters being troubled. Have you ever heard troubled waters? That's the saying there. That's where it comes from. These troubles will come for her. They will look for her. They will try to find her, but they will not. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth, swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her what? offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. These are those in this timeline that we say were left behind who have become Christians by the Jewish witnesses. They are now the ones being beheaded, persecuted by the beast because he can kill them, but he cannot come and get the 144,000. That's what's happening in this timeline. So do you want to wait to become a Christian during the time of the tribulation? Like, I'm just going to wait till this, this, this pans out. No, no, you don't want to wait because you're going to be literally having your head, you know, head knocked off your shoulders. You're, you're asking to be beheaded because hardly anyone from the witnessing of the Jewish people will make it through the seven years. Almost all of them will be beheaded and killed. Only the 144,000, I believe, will make it, and I'll show you why in just a few moments because they get a song that nobody else can have. Revelation 13, one chapter down, two more to go. I still got half hour. You all ready? All right, I think the toughest time we've passed. I think you guys are doing better. Last week it was a little bit of me. Now it's a little bit of you. Not, not that anybody's keeping points. Not that anybody's keeping points about, about how this is working up here. But, uh, no, give an exegetical pastor the book of Revelation and watch how uh, they burn themselves out. This, is, this has been a great test for me, and I hope you're growing and you have a testimony. Amen. You know, the book of his, you know, like the, the epistles, they're so much easier. Love your neighbor. Don't hate each other. Don't do this. You know, this is like, who is the dragon? Who's the first beast? Who's the second beast? What's going on with that crown? What happened to that, you know, that thing? So we're taking our time. Now look at Revelation 13.1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Remember, he's been cast to the earth. He can't go to heavenly realms anymore, right? And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Remember, we learned about that beast in the prior chapter. The beast that came out of the abyss. Now this beast comes. It had ten horns, seven heads, with ten crowns on its horn, and on each head a blasphemous name. Where, where did we see this before? Ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns. Where did we see that before? With who? No, not Daniel. Where, who, where did we see this before? With the dragon. Come on now, Nancy. Even my wife's struggling right now. Second service, I'm going to be praying for you. Come on, Jesus, help them, Lord, help them, Lord. First service, it was like, it was like a dance. You know, sometimes yeah, you just come to church, you just feel like you're dancing with the pastor. Other times you feel like you're stepping on the pastor's toes, you know. Or oh, I'm stepping on your toes. Nancy, I need you right here. L listen, baby kiss. Listen to all my kiss. Don't get mom in trouble no more. Mom's got to pay attention. Where did we hear this before? Seven heads, seven crowns, or yes, uh, ten horns and seven crowns. Where did we hear this? Who had this? The dragon. Hold on. Let's go and check. Let's make sure Pastor Stone, this is truth, not making it up up here. Wow, another sign appeared in heaven. Dragon. How many heads does this dragon have? Seven. How many horns does it have? Ten. How many crowns does it have? Okay, just remember those numbers. Seven heads, seven crowns, ten horns. Now we go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. We see a beast. It's not the dragon. These are two separate beings. One's a dragon, one's a beast. How many horns does it have? Ten. How many heads does it have? Seven. How many crowns does it have? Ah, now ask yourself this. Why is that? Now Satan is imitating the divine 
holy image of God, the triune nature. This is called the unholy trinity. When Jesus came, what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen my, my father. Now the Antichrist is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen my, my father, the devil. Do you get it? And the false prophet is going to be representing the Holy Spirit. Just like, as we're going to learn about the whore or the prostitute of Babylon, she is an antithesis to the bride of Christ. You are now seeing the antithesis to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The dragon has these features. Now the beast has the identical features. Verse 2, the beast I saw resembled a leopard had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power, his authority. Didn't Jesus say, I don't do anything unless the Father does it through me? Doesn't he say that he serves the Father? Now the beast is going to serve the dragon. And where do we get these images? A leopard, a bear, a lion. Those are the nations given to Daniel in his prophecies, representing world kingdoms. And now in the Antichrist, they are united as one. In other words, all that was wicked in the past is now in one being. The leopard was the Babylonian kingdom. The, the, um, the bear was the Medes and the Persians. The lion was the Greeks. And the ten-horned creature, because that's the fourth creature, that is the Roman Empire. Now the dragon and the beast, they are a culmination of that. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. We're going to learn that the Antichrist has also a fake resurrection. Jesus has a resurrection, so does the Antichrist. You're going to learn more about it. It just kind of brings you in. First you hear it's a fatal wound. Now you're going to hear more about it, but keep going. The whole world was filled with the wonder with wonder, and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Doesn't it say that when we pray, we pray to our Father, we worship the Father through Jesus? So now the dragon, the devil, the serpent is worshipped through the Antichrist, who is an actual person, by the way. So now people are worshipping the devil through the power of the beast. And they also worship the beast. And don't we also worship Jesus? Doesn't the Bible say we worship the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb be glory and honor? And it says, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? How many know the lamb can answer that question? But on earth, nobody dare says a thing. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise authority for how many months? 42 months. How many days is that? 1,260 days. How many years? 3.5. Now you understand. Do you get the timeline now? Isn't it beautiful? It's starting to click together. I'm glad we took our time. We were patient. The Bible now says for these last three and a half years, the beast with the devil, and we're soon going to learn about the, ant, uh, the false prophet, roamed the earth, persecuting the church, doing false signs and wonders, receiving worship, blaspheming God. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. So at this point in the story, there is no more a mystery about what's going on. We assume that at the beginning of the peace treaty, the first three and a half years of the final seven, the Antichrist is smiling. He's a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Everyone is getting along. He's got Israel to make a peace treaty. The temple of Ezekiel is being built. Everything is looking good. But when the 144,000 begin to see 
who he is and turn their back on him, his now true colors come out. He now starts terrorizing the world. And now watch it. Verse 7, talking about that beast, was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to what? conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's how I know to my friends who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, this cannot be the church age, because the Bible doesn't say in this age I get conquered. The Bible says I'm what? More than a conqueror. In this age, the Bible doesn't say I run from the devil. The Bible says the devil runs from me, and in this age, it doesn't say he has power and authority over every tribe, people, and language, but my Jesus does. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Come on, somebody. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and onward. Look at what it says. We We are the children of God in this age with authority. So how in the world could the church be here if now the authority has been handed over to Satan? Look at what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So is that a contradiction? That Oh, over here it says Jesus has the authority. But now it says the devil has the authority. Is that a contradiction? No. And I am surely with you to what? The very end of the age. Some of y'all need to to read Lord of the Rings. You need to learn about ages. It's fiction, but it will help you understand. Your Bible is written about ages. You are in an age. And in this age, there are promises that come along with this age. You shall cast out demons. You shall do these things in Jesus' name. Do spiritual warfare, casting down principalities. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. How many are glad you're in the church age? Come on, somebody. Even in the Old Testament, they weren't able to do what the New Testament believer can do. Only certain few of them at a certain amount of times. Now the Bible says sons and daughters prophesy hallelujah. That's why we open it up to everybody here. We're not weird. We're just wired into heaven, baby. We're not trying to build up here an ecclesiastical order that's different than you sitting in the pews. We believe in the priesthood of the believer, that to each person is given the gifts of the Spirit for the well-being and the building of the church. And so now, does this make sense in our timeline of why we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture? Absolutely, because how in the world can the church be here while the church, the Bible says, would be conquered by the devil, hunted down because he has all authority? You can't have the church here for that age. What you have is the 144,000 marked out by God simply to be a witness of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will give them this earth to inherit. That is the promise. He'll never leave this earth without his witness of his people. And for us, we're grafted into those people, praise God. But he is going to do his work through them. This is what I like to call the Jewish redemption. So as much as we always see ourselves in the narrative, this is not really our story at the end. The story at the end is where it all began with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, him promising to bless them and to keep them. That's why, if we can just put up here, uh, put in uh, Revelation chapter 6, you'll see why he sealed the 144,000. It's because the church has been taken away. Now he's going to deal with Israel. It's not that Israel can be saved, as in seven rather. It's not that they can be saved outside of Christ. It's just he's fulfilling his plan. It says, then I heard the number of those who would be sealed. Let's go to verse 3. Do not harm the 
land or the sea or the trees until we put the seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from these tribes. So if a Jehovah Witness or some goofy cult person tries to tell you this is allegorical and that our anointed class is a part of 144,000, they are liar, liars, pants on fire. This is a literal promise to God's people. 144,000 sealed until the day he comes back. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. So we're believing in that because what else is happening here during this whole time? Anybody who has come to know Christ during this time, the devil has authority over you. Not to take away your salvation, but to kick your butt and kick you off this earth. You can't cast out the devil. Literally, we already learned Apollyon, a chief demon, is walking around with the locust army. You can't cast him out. Let Apollyon come in here and see how long he lasts. You understand what I'm saying? Let a demon come in here and see how long they last. Let them come into your night. Bump you, bump them back in Jesus' name. But here, look at what it says. It's not my words. It's in the Bible. It, talking about the beast, which we will know as the Antichrist as we go further on. It was given power, power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, over every people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those, it clarifies, who have not had their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And the Lamb was slain from the creation of the world. We see God's plan of redemption has been there from the beginning. And there will be people accepting Christ during this time, but they won't live very long. They'll be hunted down and killed. Only the 144,000 will be spared. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. Somebody say, I'm hearing Jesus. Listen to what he says to the tribulation saints. That's what we're going to call them, the non-Jewish people who get saved. If anyone is going to captivity, it's in the captivity you're going, baby. If anyone's to be killed with the sword, by the sword you're going to be killed. It is what it is. Look at verse 12. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is a message to the tribulation saints. Hey, if you're going to die, you're going to die now. Don't even ask to be spared from death. It's happening. You're going to go into slavery, captivity. Don't even, don't even try to get out. It's over for you. When did he say that to him? That's a direct quote from Jeremiah 15 too. When the Babylonians came, Jeremiah was alive. He was alive during Daniel's time. He said, boys, listen, there's not a thing you can do about it now. God's punishing us, and you're going to die. A lot of you and your children are going into slavery. That's exactly what happened. Daniel taken into slavery. As a matter of fact, Daniel was told, don't even pray for deliverance. Get used to it because you're going to be here for 70 years. Build your houses, marry, and enjoy life because you're living in Babylon now. You're a Babylonian man. Babylon. Babylon, come on. And that's what he says to the tribulation saints. He says, you guys better pray for patience, endurance, faithfulness, because it's not going to be deliverance now. Deliverance is not for you. How many know deliverance is for us right now in this age? Learn to pray for deliverance. Amen. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. This is now what we refer to as the false prophet. Go to Revelation chapter 16, verse 3. Once again, God gave us this revelation in pieces in different parts of the book. I know we would like to have it right there, like the second beast is the Antichrist. But here we have to now take our time to see what we're being told here. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13. Revelation 13, uh, 16, 13, not verse 3. Thank you. And then how this is now you'll see the picture of the unholy trinity. Watch this. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. That's where we see him labeled as the false prophet in this unholy trinity. I don't know what this looks like, but I'm going to try to give you an image, and it might be a little gross. Are you guys ready? Imagine them standing 
by each other, the devil on the earth, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and the devil calls up these spirits, pushes them out through his mouth. You then see it go through the Antichrist and then through the false prophet. Welcome to the tribulation time. <laughs> That's what they see. That's what they see. And so now we're told about where he comes from, the false prophet. So just as there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, now we see there's the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. He's the second beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb but spoke like a dragon. It, talking about the false prophet, exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast who had a fatal wound but been healed. Remember, we just learned at the beginning it was a wound. Now we learned it's a fatal wound that was healed. Let's keep going. It's a fatal wound. It's a resurrection. And it, appear, and it performed, rather, great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of people. Because of the signs it was given to perform on behalf of the beast, the Antichrist, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. Go now to Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. Hear what the Bible says about how great the deception will be during this time. These beings, who will probably be looked at like extraterrestrial, uh, extra-dimensional beings, will be calling down fire from heaven. For the false, uh, false Messiah and false prophets will appear. And listen, the Antichrist is the last of the greatest false Christ. But there's even false Christ now. Are you guys tracking with me? The false prophet is the greatest of the false prophets, even though there's false prophets now. They will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive even the possible if it was elect. Uh, even the possible, if possible, even the elect. Thank you, Lord. If possible, even the elect. I believe God protects the elect from the deception. Why is that? Because look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Why are these people now so easily deceived? Why are they getting the punishment of deception? Do you know that deception is a punishment? Did you know that? See, a lot of times we have compassion for the deceived, and we should. But you have to understand in Scripture, most of the time, deception is a punishment. When sadly, these people leave Christianity and they begin to follow these cults, it's a punishment that now they're getting raped by the cult leader. Now they're being led astray. It's because they gave up the truth and were easily deceived. Do you understand that? Deception is oftentimes a punishment. Look at it right here. He, talking about Satan, will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that will serve the lie and all the ways of wickedness that deceive people who are perishing. Why are they perishing? They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. You see, the reason why the Muslims, if they have not repented, will then be worshiping the Antichrist, getting a beast, is because they rejected Christ. The reason why Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey will be bowing down be, be, before a three-spirit frog-like being, worshiping the beast and receiving these frog-like spirits is because she rejected Christianity a long time ago. The reason why the world will be given over to this, listen, verse 11, for this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and they will be condemned because they did not believe the truth. Do you see that now the deception is a part of their punishment? Now look at it. It is ordered to them to worship the image set up in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Put it together. We're, le we're learning three things about this. First, he was wounded. Then we learned that it was a fatal wound, and it was by the sword. So either he's beheaded literally by a sword, stabbed in the head by a sword, the Antichrist, or he's shot in the head in some other kind of way, killed in his head, and now he's resurrected. So imagine the level of deception that's here. 
Demons are walking around. They're calling down fire from heaven. One of them gets resurrected, and that's not even the end of it. I wish one of my friends was here who was talking to me about this stuff because it gets even weirder and more strange. The second beast, watch this, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image, an idol, could speak and cause, watch this, all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Get this. Now the prophet makes an image come to life and sends it on missions to kill people without the mark of the beast. Get this. Whatever happens here has to probably be a a combining of two things, cloning and AI. Go here with me. Go here. We're already in the book of Revelation. Might as well go there. Somehow the false prophet clones the beast, clones him. We're already doing cloning with animals. Track with me. It's not too far off. Clones him, and now it doesn't just clone him. It's not just like, oh, here's a clone. He makes him like Iron Man. Seriously, he makes the clone with the ability to hunt down those who have not received the mark of the beast. What's that up in the sky? Is it Superman? No, that's the image of the beast coming to destroy us. Want to get some water and a mint, please? Some of you laughing at it now, but you shouldn't be because long time ago they laughed at it and already our science proves them wrong. Can I get some water in a mint? Thank you. Imagine reading this in the 1800s. Was cloning even a thing back then? No. Cloning would have been just a joke. How many know we're close to cloning humans if we're already cloning animals? How many know they're doing secret stuff right now that we don't even know about? Yeah. Look it up. Cloned animals. They've already cloned them. How about this, AI, the intelligence that they're putting into machines. How many know they're only a few little zip zaps and a microchip away from infusing it into humans? Thank you. How many know that? Right now, they're helping the blind by putting in computer chips. They're helping the deaf, putting in computer chips. How many have already seen that? They're already helping them. They're already helping the lame by putting in, uh, you know, the arms, the legs, How hard will it be at this time when the devil has literally been watching human history the entire time, has been watching the Sir Isaac Newtons, has watched the Steve Jobs? How hard do you think it will be for him to do a little Tony Stark and put together a demonic Iron Man? We're already watching it right now with my wife during her birthday time. She wants to go back and watch Iron Man. And I'm sitting here going, man, that's, that's a prelude to the image of the beast. Now, where's the last thing it says? It strikes down. Those who don't have the mark. Remember, you're living a long time ago. How in the world does that make sense? How will it find you? Look, I'm hiding. Find me, you image, you stupid image. You know? How many know now GPS, infrared scanning? I'm telling you, go back to the Iron Man. Iron Man can look through walls, through infrared. He can do GPS, heat signatures. Beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. Finds you. Do you have the mark? Nope. Boom. Set out a rocket. And people used to laugh at the Bible thinking, we're making this up. And this is why, God bless them, even some of my heroes, went through the book of Revelation and said, there's no way this is ever being literal. Let's just all take it figurative. Let's just all put it back to the destruction of Jerusalem. Stuff like this was happening some way, somehow. You know, let's just throw it all back there because there's never this going to happen. There's never going to be a mark that's going to be able to restrict you because we're going to get to that in just a moment. 
You know, because if you have a tattoo in the Roman Empire, that's how they, they knew they would mark you. You could still buy and sell if you wanted to fake the mark or, you know, if you didn't want to be in the Roman Empire anymore, you could get the mark off you. How many know you can't do that with the chip? You can't fake a chip. And if they put it in you, you may not be able to get it out, especially as we get to, get to see if you receive the mark, you can't get saved. What if the mark that they receive also has to do with AI and also takes away your capacity to make free will decisions? What if it's like a day rape drug put in you by the mark? What if it takes away your inhibitions? Are you listening? It just releases different drugs and chemicals throughout your body. Somebody says that's the, um, the vaccine. No, it's not. But isn't the vaccine a prelude to what people can get all hyped up about? All of a sudden, T.D. Jakes, I'm getting the mark. All of a sudden, they're opening up churches. We're all going to give you the mark. It's part of your health. It's part of lowering your serotonin. It's part of making you less depressed, more happy. It's all here. Because he gives power to this beast, uh, to this image of the beast, and this could kill people. It forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their hands. So now this image is used to intimidate people or on their foreheads so that they cannot buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of man. That number is 666. And now look at it right here. The Jewish people have a numbering system with their alphabet. So alpha is their A, is 1, beta is 2. They do it all the way to 10. That's for their first 10 letters. Then after that, they go to 20, 30. They count in tens. Then they count to hundreds. So by the time you get to their last letter, you have 900. So the mark of the beast is going to have 666 in it. Once again, people back in the day could make fun of us, right? Oh, that's so silly. How are you all going to have 666? How many of you share accounts with people in your family, and you have the first three numbers in common, and everything else is different? That's the way it's going to be. It's going to be like a mark. It's going to be a part of the code, 666. It will be in there, and then something else. How about this? You can't buy or sell without it. How many have already seen the chips right now that are being given to animals, military, and already being placed into businesses so you can have security access and the people and, and, you know, you know, on the business? Now, once again, is that the mark of the beast? No, because what we're going to learn is that the mark of the beast has a spiritual ramification. As we get into the last chapter, everybody say, we can do it. As we get into the last chapter, we're going to see that once you receive the mark, there's no coming back. So if, you're, if your company is asking you to do something like this or one day you try to get a Google Glasses or whatever or you need hearing implants or something, this is not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast can only be the mark if it comes by the Antichrist for his one world government and then excludes you out of heaven. So at that point, when you see the Antichrist, don't get his mark. It's not going to be an accident, okay? Did I get the mark? I got to, you know, people used to think this when they got credit cards. You know, they made Visa out to be 666. Look, I got a credit card. You got the mark of the beast. Though debt is bad in that sense, if you don't pay it off, it's not the mark of the beast. This is a very specific mark, and it prevents you from being saved from that point on. And it's, come, it's coming by the Antichrist. Here's the last chapter. Now, what did I say? Keep your eye on the 144,000. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb. Now we've jumped way into the future here. I know in just a moment, I'm going to show you that this can't be during the tribulation. This has to be afterward because they're before the throne singing songs. And so what I believe is they're raptured right before Armageddon. Have we learned about multiple raptures? Yes. Elijah was raptured. Enoch was raptured. The church is raptured. The two witnesses after they're killed are raptured. What about the 144,000 that were promised protection? They must be raptured because we see them in heaven singing songs and the battle of Armageddon is about ready to come. So watch. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, 
And with them, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their heads. So Jesus and the father's name is written on their heads. I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. Isn't that beautiful? They're playing the harps up there. And they sang a new song that, that was before the throne. Excuse me. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. How many know? I know they can't be on earth now. How many know the throne's not on earth? The four living creatures aren't on earth. So we have to ask ourselves, if we go back up to the timeline here, when did the 144,000 get before the throne? When did they get there? Because we're about ready to learn about the Armageddon. They must be raptured before Armageddon. So we're raptured here. Two witnesses are raptured in the middle, and then they're raptured right there at the end. That's the best way to understand it because now we see this picture of them at the throne. And after the second coming, we don't go back up to heaven. Heaven comes to earth. We rule and reign a thousand years, and then we get the new heavens and earth. That's why I know it can't be after Armageddon. It has to be before. Now, when we go back here, we see that they're singing a new song. Now, watch this. No one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Uh, Vinny, would you come up, please, as we get ready to close? This is exciting for me. Somebody say no one could learn it. Amen. Look at this and take this for a moment in your imagination. Imagine you're raptured and you're in heaven, okay? You've been watching this now. You've been watching the Antichrist and all of these things. You're excited about Jesus coming to judge the earth. You want to see this. But you're also feeling compassion for these 144,000. You've seen the ones they've witnessed to and discipled, killed, and they're going underneath the throne. Remember, that's where the martyrs are. And now, all of a sudden, you're there. This is real time, people, real time. Just like how a few moments have gone by here, moments are going by there. And all of a sudden, 144,000 surround the throne. And they start singing a song that you don't understand. But you know it's glorious. It would be as if in this service, one of us began to sing in tongues and everybody began to sing in that exact same tongue, the exact same song. And a visitor comes in and goes, what are you guys doing? It sounds amazing, but I have no idea what's going on. These saints will begin singing a song before God that no one will understand except them. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. That's why I know they can't be these cult members, because they're definitely not virgins, nor are the 144,000 of the Jehovah Witnesses. These are young men and women that start off the beginning of the tribulation, and God begins to do a great work in their life, and they remain virgins to the end. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. God is keeping his promise. Everybody get this. It starts with God's chosen people. You can't go but a few chapters in the book of Genesis about learning about God's chosen people. And now at the end, he shows the world, I haven't forgot about them. I've taken care of them. I've brought them to myself. Now here come the three angels. Before we get to the bowls of wrath, we're going to have summarized the whole thing from the beginning of creation. We've gone there to the devil falling, to Jesus' birth, to the destruction of the temple. I mean, we've gone all across, you know, in this signs, all across biblical history. We've even looked to the future, right? He says, now this is what it's going to be like right before these bowls come. The angel's going to fly in midair. 
He's going to proclaim the eternal gospel to all those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, to all those that the Antichrist has been ruling over. God's going to send an angel and say, tell him one more time, I'm in charge. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Second angel is going to come. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. Listen, we haven't even heard about Babylon, but the first thing we know about her, she gets destroyed. But this is what I can say, Babylon is a whore, or as you could say, a hoe. And listen, you can't make a hoe a housewife. I'm going to say it because i got to say it today. You can't make a hoe a housewife. And God didn't come for the whore of Babylon. He came for the bride of Christ. And so listen, if you've been tricking and acting like a hoe, you need to be a hoe no more, baby. Go to, go to James chapter 4 because i got to preach it to some of young adults. Get it today. Whether you say whore, hoe, or prostitute, it's all the same thing. And I'll skip ahead because that's where John skipped ahead. The Bible says in James chapter 4, you adulterous people, you tricking people, don't you know that friendship with the world means an enmity towards God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend, oh, we're just friends. I'm just a friend. Those who choose to be a friend of the world become an enemy of God. So today, listen in closing. If you've been behaving like an adulteress towards God, you are his enemy, and you will become a part of the whore of Babylon's kingdom, which is another way of saying where the Antichrist rules from, and you will miss the bride of Christ. So today, if you have been living like that, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has given to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Somebody say, there's more grace. Amen. That's why it's not over for you yet. There's still grace. You don't have to be a hoe. What? No more, baby. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's the promise that you have here. You see, when he comes, he's going to control the world. He's going to be dominating the world. But right now, when I resist him, he has to flee. Come near to God. I call out to all those in entertainment, all those in government, all those today that can hear my voice. Come to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughing to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Babylon the great is going to fall. Angels are going to proclaim its destruction. And then the third angel, what happens? The third angel now jumps us to the end of the story. Like I said, past, present, and future. Third angel comes and says, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its mark on their forehead or hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. It's over. No more chances now. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise for how long? Forever and ever. 
Listen to me, my friends. We're not angry at the wicked when we speak this way because we ourselves were wicked. We're listening to the warnings. That's why today I'm no longer considered the whore of Babylon. I'm considered now the bride of Christ. Amen. I'm united with that woman who gave birth to our Messiah. Hallelujah. I'm waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not waiting for the Antichrist. I'm waiting for the real Christ. Hallelujah. And the Bible says that they will be be tormented. And this is where sometimes people believe in annihilation, that hell has an end. No, it's forever and ever. And it says, there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. It's over for them. And as we'll read further in the book of Revelation, all humanity will stand before God and be cast into that lake of fire with them if they have not had their names written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he closes out once again with a word to the tribulation saints, to those who would actually be alive at this time. He speaks to them. And he says, this calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So basically what he says is, this kingdom you see now is going to be destroyed, but you got to be patient. And in some ways, I feel we're there as well. I mean, even though we don't see the devil walking around, we haven't seen the, the locust army, the, the image of the beast flying around like a demonic uh, Iron Man. We are living in a world that oftentimes seems more evil than good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oftentimes we think the prayer of our Father is but a hope or a wish that will never come true. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we're supposed to do is look at the book of Revelation and see, especially as we see all of these signs culminating human history, is we're supposed to look at this and say, God is faithful. God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at the 144,000. God is faithful to the church. Look at the rapture. God is faithful to people who are even alive during the tribulation. Look towards heaven. He's coming to redeem you. God is faithful, he says, even to the earth and creation. He's going to restore it and bring back the Garden of Eden. How many have skipped ahead to Revelation 22? The Bible says we rule and reign with Christ here on the earth. It's brought back heaven on earth. And so even right now, though we don't see all of this happening yet, we can be encouraged by this story, by the understanding of God's great story and history, his story, history, that he cares about us. He loves us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And if we're his, he knows it. He's going to come back for us. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. How many believe Jesus is coming back for you? How many believe Jesus is coming back for you if you're the church? How many believe Jesus is coming back if you're the 144,000? How many believe he's coming back if you're one of the saints who got beheaded? It's all going to work together for our good. Come back next week. Bring your friends as we continue to dive into this book. Hopefully you're understanding it more and more. Altar workers and band, would you come? But in closing, let's make sure we have the relationship with Jesus. The most important thing we can do is accept that gospel now is to say, Jesus, come into my heart, change my life. As a matter of fact, in an attitude of prayer, would everybody say that? Just say it with me or in your own words. Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Be the Lord and Savior of who I am. Come on, pray that in your own words. Those of us who have sinned and have not yet repented, repent of those sins. Say, Lord, forgive me of the sins that I've committed. Humble yourself, as the Bible says, right? Under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. 
Anyone here today struggling in their Christian walk? Maybe you've been doing this for a while. You're discouraged. Let today's message encourage you. And before you go, let us pray with you. Even right now, just lift up your hands, those who need encouragement, and I'll lift mine up with you. And just ask the Lord today to give you power and strength and authority to trample on these serpents and scorpions, as the Bible says, to have authority over the enemy, to have joy in your soul. Receive it today. Receive today. The Bible says that there is joy in his presence and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't leave out here the same way you came. Come on, hands raised. I receive joy today. I receive peace today. Who needs to say this to themselves in the name of Jesus? Say it out loud. I'm more than a conqueror today. Come on, I'm more than a conqueror today in Jesus' name. Believe it in prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I believe it, Jesus. Give me the strength to live it. If you need prayer, you can even come right now. We'll dismiss in just a moment with worship. But a few more moments can I pray for you. I know I love to teach the Bible, but I also just want to pray for you today. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Come on, you're not alone today. You can do all things through Christ. Greater is he that's in you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto Jesus for you to accomplish the task he's given you. He has a purpose and a plan to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. A few more moments. And sister, please sing whatever you want to sing on your heart. We'll formally sing in just a moment, but just worship as you can. Somebody needs deliverance today. There's deliverance for you. You don't have to accept your situation just the way it is. There's hope to change today. There's hope to change today. This world has not yet been handed over to Satan yet. There's hope today. There's hope today. There's hope today. Don't be hopeless today. There's joy today. I want to pray for somebody that needs joy today. Somebody that needs a sense of victory today. No matter what you're going through, no matter who you are, even if you're my wife or children or pastors or leaders, there is hope, there is joy. We don't have to stay where we're at. The book of Revelation is a book written to give us hope. And today I receive it. It's not meant for the church to go through it. You're meant to look at that and say what God is going to do will be faithful to his people and faithful to those who need it at that time, but I know he's got a better plan for me. He's got a better plan for me. A few more moments. A better plan. My peace, my joy, my hopes in you. Come on, some of you, some of you hear the 144,000 about being virgins, and you might think to yourself that that's better for you, but some of you are supposed to marry, have kids. Some of you are already married, have kids, but that's causing you trouble. Ask God to do something in your marriage right now. Lord, I ask you to bless marriages. I ask you to bless families. We're not in the season yet where everybody's a virgin, God. I pray you bless mothers here. Bless fathers here, oh Lord. A few more moments. May God touch all of our hearts today. Jesus, 
We are the apple of God's eye in this age. And he wants there to be a great multitude to join with us. In these last few moments before we dismiss, can you pray for lost people? For anybody you know that you want to see spared from the judgment? Just because we know revelation is coming doesn't mean that we don't keep winning souls. We're not supposed to take it as well, and then they're just going to be judged anyway. There's a work to be done. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that the last work the church does before this time begins, the last seven, is preaching the gospel to every nation. Isn't that what Matthew 28 said as well? We're supposed to make disciples of the nations. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your lost sons and daughters, friends, family, siblings. Jesus, have mercy on this land. Oh, Lord, we pray, God, for Chicago to be saved. We pray for this nation to be saved. We pray for revival to come to Latin America, to Europe, to Asia. May the greatest outpouring of the Spirit come in these last days. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. As I get ready to dismiss, and then we'll sing a, a, you know, you can stay and sing a a worship song with us. I just want to pray that all of us will remember that Jesus is the center of this book. And that we as the church need to be about our business. Father, center us on you today. And let us be about what you're about right now in this age. And Lord, let us be ready for that rapture. To be with you. And to see your kingdom come on this earth. Everybody said... Amen. Can we bless him one more time? Hallelujah.